0: Hey guys, what's going on? This is Mike Estefan from the University of Rochester School of Medicine, bringing you episode six in the Emergency Medicine Shelf Exam Review Series. This week's episode is going to focus on the management of the arrhythmias that you are likely to see on your shelf exam. In addition to knowing how to manage these arrhythmias, you are also going to need to be able to identify them on EKG. So if you don't know how to recognize any of these arrhythmias on EKG, I would recommend looking them up online. There are tons of resources out there that do a way better job at teaching how to identify these arrhythmias on EKG than I ever could on a podcast. Let's start out by talking about the management of some of the arrhythmias that you may see on your exam. Before we dive into the specific arrhythmias, I just want to quickly touch on what defines a stable or an unstable patient in this context. Now in the clinical setting, Deciding whether a patient is stable or unstable is a little more difficult because these patients exist on a spectrum. It is not black and white. there is significant amounts of gray when making this decision. However, for your exam, this is a black and white decision. The patient is either stable or unstable. Factors that would make you decide that the patient is unstable includes hypotension, pulmonary edema, chest pain, or altered mental status. If your patient on the exam has any of these four qualities associated with them, then I would consider them unstable, again, for exam purposes only. So let's say a patient comes in with supraventricular tachycardia, or SVT, and you decide that they are stable. What is the first-line intervention for these patients? So for the exam here, you're going to want to pick a vagal maneuver, such as the Valsalva maneuver. If that doesn't work, what do you want to pick next on your exam good so this would be adenosine and let's say on the exam that the vignette said that the vagal maneuver didn't work and you tried adenosine a couple times and that also didn't work what is the next line treatment for the stable patient in svt good so you can use another av nodal blocking agent such as a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker for your exam okay Let's say that the exam paints a picture of an unstable patient in SVT. What is your first-line intervention here? If the patient is an unstable SVT, then you want to give synchronized cardioversion. Remember, synchronized cardioversion is very different than unsynchronized cardioversion, which is also known as defibrillation. Don't mix these guys up on your exam. So again, quick recap. Stable SVT you start with a vagal maneuver, you try adenosine a couple times, and if neither of those work, you can use beta blockers or calcium channel blockers. Unstable SVT, you go right to synchronized cardioversion. Alright, let's say a patient comes in with VTAC and they are stable. What medication do you want to use first line? So there's a couple you can pick here, and I think for exam purposes they are all equally valid. but. Typically, amiodarone is going to be your first line, but procainamide or lidocaine can also work. I would remember amiodarone for your exam. And if this patient in VTAC was unstable, what are you going to do? Good. Again, this is synchronized cardioversion. And if this patient came in in VTAC, but they do not have a pulse, so pulseless VTAC, what do you do for these patients? Good. So... This is unsynchronized cardioversion, or defibrillation. There are only a couple circumstances where you will defibrillate a patient. One of them is pulseless VTAC, and what is the other one? Good, this is ventricular fibrillation, or V-fib. So again, for your exam, the only two circumstances where you will defibrillate a patient is for pulseless VTAC or VFib unstable VTAC gets synchronized cardioversion, and stable VTAC is managed with medications such as amiodarone, procainamide, or lidocaine. All right, moving on. Let's say the exam gives you a vignette where there's a patient on a bunch of different antipsychotics, and they show an EKG under the vignette. Before even looking at the EKG, what arrhythmia are you thinking of? Good. So you should be thinking of polymorphic VTAC here, also known as torsades, dip points. This commonly occurs in scenarios where the patient could have a prolonged QTC. And there are several medications that can cause this. And the classic ones that the exam loves are antipsychotics, methadone, and sometimes Zofran or ondansetron. When a patient comes in with a prolonged QTC or they're in torsades, For exam purposes, the first thing you do is give them magnesium sulfate. Alright, this next one examiners love to test students on, so pay attention. Let's say a patient comes in, and the vignette tells you that they have known Wolf parkinson white syndrome, and the patient is complaining of heart palpitations, but otherwise is stable. What medication do you give these patients? Good, so you probably remember this from step one or step two. But the answer in this situation is procainamide. I would definitely make sure that you can identify Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome on EKG for your exam. Google it if you need to, there are tons of tutorials explaining what to look for. Along those same lines, I would make sure that you can recognize what is known as Brugada's syndrome on EKG, so google that one too if you don't know what that looks like. All right, let's move on to talk about atrial fibrillation in the ED. The decision making here is simplified for exam purposes, so just know that in real life there are many more nuances to these decisions. Let's say a patient comes in with AFib and they are unstable. How do you manage these patients? So unstable AFib is managed by synchronized cardioversion. In addition, if the patient is unstable with AFib, you do not need to be concerned about the duration of their AFib. However, if the patient is stable with AFib, this is when you need to figure out when their AFib started. Let's say a patient comes in with AFib, but they're stable, and you do not know when the AFib started, or you do know when the AFib started, but it was more than 48 hours ago. How do you manage these patients? So a patient who's been in AFib for either more than 48 hours or an unknown duration, and they are stable, receives rate control, along with anticoagulation with heparin. You don't really need to know the rest of the process for converting these patients for your exam, but typically these patients get admitted and bridged to warfarin. And then further down the road, these patients will receive an echocardiogram to look for a thrombus in the atrium, and these patients will be converted if there is no thrombus. However, you do not need to know the details of this for your exam. Just know that these patients are not converted in the ED and they are started on anticoagulation. Now let's say on the exam they give you a patient coming in with AFib and they're stable and they also have a known duration of this AFib. It was new onset and it started less than 48 hours ago. How do you manage these patients? So for your exam, there are a lot of avenues you can pick that are all equally correct to manage these patients. Actually, in my experience, I don't think they'll ask you this on your exam because there are so many different correct answers, but just in case, I'm going to cover it really quickly. So these patients can be managed by rate control or rhythm control. On the rhythm control side, they can receive either synchronized cardioversion or medications to get them out of AFib. The medications commonly used for rhythm control include amiodarone, procainamide, and flecainide, these patients can also be cardioverted with synchronized cardioversion in the ED. And on the rate control side, you can use a beta blocker such as metoprolol or a calcium channel blocker such as diltiazam. The key here is that these patients do not need to be anticoagulated typically. All right, just to briefly summarize unstable AFib receives synchronized cardioversion. Stable AFib depends on how long the patient has been in AFib for. If it has been greater than 48 hours or an unknown duration, these patients receive rate control with anticoagulation. If the patient has been in AFib for less than 48 hours and there's a definite time there, then these patients can be managed in many different ways, including rhythm control with electricity, rhythm control with medications, or rate control with medications. Now I have two more factoids about AFib for you guys that are actually pretty low yield for your exam unless you're shooting to be in the 90th percentile or above. So let's say a patient comes in with AFib, but their ventricular response rate is around 250 to 300. What should you be thinking about here? So classically, this is AFib in the setting of Wolf parkinson white syndrome. Basically what happens here is that normally with AFib, the AV node does a pretty good job of blocking a bunch of those extra atrial impulses from reaching the ventricle. However, if you have an accessory pathway that connects the atria to the ventricle and bypasses the AV node, some of these impulses will go through the AV node, and a lot of them will bypass the AV node and make it to the ventricles. This causes a very high ventricular rate. is a very classic presentation. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, what should you be thinking about if a patient comes in with what is known as slow AFib, or AFib with bradycardia? So classically, this is digoxin toxicity for your exam. For this last section, we're going to discuss bradycardia and how to manage heart block in the ED. Now, recall that there is a bunch of different types of heart block. You have first degree. You have 2nd degree type one, second degree type 2, and 3rd degree heart block. I would make sure that you are familiar with what all of these look like on an EKG. Especially be sure that you can recognize 3rd degree heart block. Now let's assume that you guys know how to identify these on the exam. The other questions they'll ask you about these different heart blocks is how to manage them. So if a patient has bradycardia, no matter what degree of heart block, and they are unstable, meaning they're hypotensive. These patients need pacing. This pacing can either be transcutaneous or transvenous, and they won't make you pick between the two on the exam, but they need to be paced if they are unstable. Now, if the patient is stable, however, they are still symptomatic from their bradycardia, then you need to figure out which type of heart block they have or if they simply have sinus bradycardia. For symptomatic sinus bradycardia, first degree heart block, and second degree type 1 heart block, these patients receive atropine. Now, if they have a second degree type 2 or a third degree heart block, and they are symptomatic but stable, you still need to pace these patients. These patients can crash quickly and will eventually need a pacemaker, so they get paced. However, if the blockage is above the AV node, meaning first degree or second degree type 1, you can just give them atropine. Now, if a patient is neither unstable nor symptomatic, then you can just reassure these patients. They can just chill. They don't need anything. These are typically going to be your sinus bradycardias, your first degree heart blocks, and your second degree type 1 heart blocks. But again, if they're symptomatic, these patients get atropine. All right, let's quickly review that. So all unstable bradycardias receive either transcutaneous or transvenous pacing. In addition, symptomatic yet stable bradycardias that are either second degree type 2 or third degree also require pacing because these patients can crash, and they will eventually need a pacemaker. If the patient is stable but symptomatic, and they have either sinus bradycardia, first degree heart block or second-degree type 1 heart block, then these patients receive atropine. And then if these patients are neither symptomatic nor unstable, then reassurance works for these patients. They don't even need atropine. And that's about all I have for you guys. So if you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions, please reach out to me. My email is empodcastmike at gmail.com. Until next week, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.